Hey, Brandon, did you know that the Lord of the Rings actually takes place in March? I'm sorry, what? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Right as we were starting to record this podcast, I realized that my browser was open to Polygon.com, and I saw a headline that reads, I'm devoted to reminding people that Lord of the Rings actually, quote, takes place in March. Contrary to reports, I am actually a very cool person. (laughs) And uh, uh, apparently, uh, it goes on to say, did you know the Battle of Helm's Deep began around midnight on March 3rd? I did, because I run a deliciously pedantic Lord of the Rings-themed Twitter account. Um, (laughs) I'm going to put this in the show notes. Okay. That's all I got. I did Welcome not, to the podcast. I did not realize that the Lord of the Rings had dates associated with it. And I guess I really wouldn't associate dates with Middle Earth at all. I feel like they definitely have dates. Yeah, but wouldn't would there ever have guessed that it, the dates would be the same as ours, though? Yeah, wouldn't That's it be like sure. Smarch? <laughs> <laughs> yes, here in the in the Schmateenth of Farch. Yeah. <laughs> On the 112nd day of Frocktober. Frocktober sounds good, though. It does. It sounds good. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Yeah. Like, I don't know who you're hanging out with that's bringing you this really hot Lord of the Rings content, but you should definitely promote them on your friends list on MySpace. They just got ticked up one, one, one level. They've gone from four to three. (sighs) <sighs> wow, that's a lot. How how are you, my friend? You know, I'm good. Well, I'm good Ish. relative to the uh, unending nightmare that is the 21st century. <laughs> Who would have predicted any of it? <laughs> Just any of it. Nobody. Nobody yeah. did too. I no. I mean, I don't like like verge of global pandemic and presidential election this particular presidential election in the same time span is not a thing i think anyone was prepared to have to deal with yes certainly not the intersection of those events yeah um yeah yeah so i just try not to think about it and um the way i do that is uh i have this really delicious rosé cider uh austin e ciders rosé You've been you've been standing that one for a while. Yeah, I, well, so I actually made a cocktail out of it. Uh, it involves gin and elderflower liqueur and lime juice, and it's very good. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I, I don't. I've been thinking lately. I should get back into gin. I should try to get back into gin. I had a bad experience with gin, and it really put me off of it. Mm-hmm. That will. I happen. feel like I feel like I'm missing. I'm missing out on a lot. I had that with mezcal, except the difference is mezcal is just gross. <laughs> so I'm miss, I'm missing nothing. Uh, yeah, I think I think maybe you're missing out on a sliver of drink varieties yeah. with mezcal, but gin is really like it's one of the core foundations of of drinking. I didn't think I would like it, um, but then you really do kind of sometimes want to punch in the face uh, from the the floral and you know, outdoorsy essence of, uh, an alcoholic beverage. And, mm-hmm. you know, gin, gin is your friend in those cases. So g- gin, elderflower and rosé cider, huh? And a little lime juice. Ooh, and, okay. uh, yeah. 
I stole the recipe of sorts from a cigar bar in uh, San Francisco. And I, it was on their drink special. And I'm like, um, I don't normally drink gin, but let me see what this is. And it's very good. So, yeah, it's, I mean, in the ratios you might expect, it's not a creative cocktail other than the, I wouldn't have combined those ingredients at any point. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also very safe. So, yeah, it's like, it's a little sweet, but not too sweet. It's a little mm-hmm. floral, but not too floral. It's a little sour, but not too sour. It's bubbly, but not too bubbly. And it's like, uh, and there's not crazy amounts of alcohol in it. So it's a very safe choice. It's like a crowd pleaser type of drink. So yeah, that's my recommendation. I don't I like have it. a name for this beverage. We'll, we'll call it the March 3rd. Let's call it, let's call it the visiting tech worker. Because you outed yourself as a visiting tech worker when you said, I stole this recipe from a cigar bar in San Francisco. Okay. I think you got me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking around the cigar bar. Who here is from here? Oh, God, no. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah, Uh, no, no, no. (laughs) Elderflower, though, am I right? (laughs) Yeah, but the 21st century isn't a complete, like, okay. It isn't an irredeemably complete tire fire of yeah. a 25-year time span. Some good things have happened. Namely, we have AOC. Yeah, we have AOC. That happened. She's good. I think, you know, that bodes well for a 2030 political future if we see more shit like that go down. Yeah. Have you... Uh, you remember when, like, Rust and... I don't know, a bunch of open source projects did this thing where they would make like is like there was like is Ember fast yet? Mm-hmm. Single single what do they call them? Single serving websites or something or single Yeah. And there was like is Rust web yet? Just yes. all of those. Mm-hmm. There should be like uh like is AOC eligible to run for president yet? <laughs> and then like it's just a countdown until she turns 35. And then when she turns 35, it just redirects to her campaign website <laughs> for whatever campaign she happens to be running. I like I it. should make that. We should edit this out of the podcast so I can make it. So you can make the single serving site. Yes. I like it. <sighs> Correct. There are good things happening in television and media periodically. There are like bright spots, you know, like we've really enjoyed, uh, succession and we've talked about that and billions and we've talked about that the one that is i i'm you know we, we've talked about things that i think are like really cynical and kind of tough for me to chew on and there are things that like the long shot movie which is like all right here is hope for humanity packaged into a media property i think the good place falls into that category as well of something that is very very funny and also very heartwarming and we just finished the uh, last season, except for there's like one one hour special at the end. They tied it up well enough in the last episode that I'm not sure what they're going to do with the last hour. So, But I feel eligible to talk about it at this point. And I've enjoyed it such a great deal that I just want to like, I don't know, even know if you've seen this show. I've seen the first three seasons and I will watch the fourth season as soon as it pops up on Netflix because I enjoy it a great deal. Yeah. That's the hard part is like, if you didn't stay up on it on Hulu, if you even have Hulu, like if you didn't stay up on it, the episodes roll off the and fall yeah. off the end of the earth. That and, is, that is shitty. That's yeah. a, that's a shitty model. I don't, I'm not that's a fan. That's very bad. 
It's like, do you, would you like to watch episodes 9, 10, 11, and 12? And like, no. Okay, well then fuck you. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess wait for it to go to Netflix. See our competing streaming, streaming service. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I think The Good Place is truly wonderful. So I was a, a Johnny come lately to it in that I didn't even, I'm not even sure I've seen the first season because I came in at season two and I think I watched a few episodes back. Um, or I came in late at season one and I was like, wait, what's going on here? And it's real twisty right around then too. And so yeah. trying to follow the plot, it's extremely serial. Like everything yes. builds on what came before it. And it's very difficult to pick up like any, any show with Kristen Bell in it. If you try to pick it up late in the series, it, you're going to be like, what? So wait, so you missed the whole part where they, where they, the entire show is just that they're in the good place. Yes. So by the time I was watching, there were twists and turns. And I guess I'll avoid too many spoilers because I really want people to watch this show. Yeah. Uh, It's yeah, it's a great deal of fun. And I don't know how much there is to say beyond that other than Megan Amram, who is this like really hilarious Twitter persona. Also, like, I don't know if she was writing for television before she was a big deal on Twitter or if that helped her. Like, I have no idea. But she's a comedy writer on and off Twitter. And, uh, she is the like queen of bad dad joke puns that are just, but also that are genuinely delightful. And so how all of the restaurants and shops in the good place are like weird puns. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, uh, a really great strategy. I think that was a, a good call. Um, well, so did I talk about why there are weird puns? I don't think I don't understand if there is. Is there a story behind it? It's. I would assume so. I like. I would assume. Okay, we're we're gonna enter the spoiler zone. Okay. For a couple minutes, so listeners, if you haven't seen the first season of The Good Place, skip ahead a couple minutes. Are are revealing the name the pun names of the restaurants? Uh, Are they? Uh, I don't think th- I don't that's think not spoilers. Specific names are are spoilers. Okay, here's I'm gonna list off some of the names: Ramen on Empty, Al Dente on the Western Front, I'm Yokying Around, The Pestos Yet to Come. Uh, let's see, let's see, Crueler Intentions, The Fertile Croissant, Kanish from a Rose. That was in the most recent one that I saw. Muffin but net. So, uh, tuna piano. <laughs> I mean, these okay. are we Chibata I, Zoo. Oh my god, I, I'm dying. These are good. I'm dying. <laughs> and so, so this, so this is the this is one person slash maybe maybe not. I don't know. I'm curious if if this was like fully revealed to you, having not seen. I, I don't know. So. The whole point of the good place is that it is it is actually supposed to be torture. It's it's supposed to be like an innovation on hell. And so the fact that all of the restaurant names are puns is another of the like subtle forms of torture that he's inflicting upon them. Yeah, it is. It is because it's like you're supposed to enjoy this. I, I love the description of frozen yogurt that they gave, which is like why they like all the frozen yogurt you can eat 
all, all yeah. the time, which is like, it's such a human thing to take something so good like ice cream and then ruin it just a little bit so you can feel better about yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. like, that is extremely human. Good. You got, yeah. you got me. You got yeah. us. Yeah. So when I watched, my wife watched A Good Place first. And the other cool thing about The Good Place is that it like essentially teaches you moral philosophy without like like you realizing it a lot of the time. But like a lot of the, the stuff in The Good Place is straight up just like thought experiments from moral philosophy. And the entire first season is if you like I, if you did, took philosophy classes or something, you would recognize it as a very funny take on the play No Exit, which is a play about four people who find themselves in a room with no exit and over the course of the play discover that they are in hell. It, but all hell is is being trapped with three other people who will slowly drive you insane. Which is literally the plot of The Good Place. It is literally the plot of the show. Uh, and so we watched it. And in the first episode, my wife had already seen it. And she was like, you've got to watch the show. You'll love it. In the first episode, I was like, is this actually the bad place? She was just like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you had you had too much frame of reference. Uh, yeah. And then we got to the last season. And I was like, you lied, didn't you? And she was like, y yes, I did. But, you know, it... it it's okay because uh, she had also read all of Game of Thrones when we watched that and knew the Red Wedding was coming, and I did not. And the cackle that came out of her when you're when like, what? I reacted to the Red Wedding, I'll never forget. Like the <laughs> gleeful joy. <laughs> yeah, she she knew, so I got her back for that. But yeah, the the good place is phenomenal. We, we're now exiting the spoiler zone. I also just. I just want to take a moment to announce to the world that Kristen Bell is just a gem of, of a human being. She really is. Like, I recently caught, like, finally caught up on Veronica Mars, which I had never seen when it was airing. And it turns out Kristen Bell has been fucking great for a really long time. All right. I, I never saw Veronica Mars. Oh, it's so good. I get why people were like foaming at the mouth for a new season to come out for so long. For I thought, like 15 it, years. It sounded like some encyclopedia, encyclopedia Brown bullshit to me. It it oh, does sound detective. like that. Oh. But it's like it is a lot. It is so much darker than I ever would have guessed, uh, especially for a show that was on cable TV 15 years ago. But yeah, it's phenomenal. It's very funny. Uh, Kristen Bell's fantastic. It is not Encyclopedia Brown. It's like film noir, but it takes place in a high school. Yeah, it's really good. But Kristen Bell is phenomenal. She's just, she's great. She's been in so many good shows. She was also on a show called House of Lies, where she is fucking hilarious. Uh, and like foul mouth as hell, which she's very good at. She pulls off extremely well. Yeah. Shout out to Kristen Bell. Um, yeah, I watched her her episode of Hot Ones recently. Where, oh yeah, and that show is good. And they do they do, you know like we've talked about how that like for being an inter internet show meant to essentially you know cruelly torture people into spice induced comas while not allowing them time to answer questions. Uh, it's actually really well constructed, and her episode 
first and foremost, she's a fucking professional at eating things that are essential that are basically on fire. So yeah. uh, she was not phased. She was yeah. probably one of the most pro people that was ever on that show. <laughs> she's just like, this is just like a regular interview. She, she's like, yeah, I, I mean, that's hot, I guess. Whatever. I mean, yeah. it was like, I, I had never seen somebody like take, I think uh, maybe one other person was like, yeah, okay, that's hot. I get it. And she, over the course of the interview, I think reveals herself to be a legitimate, like bona fide, full-blown, like super genius. I think she's like mad scientist oh, yeah. smart, yeah. like scary, scary smart, and also happens to have a heart of gold. It's like, yeah. oh my God, like how, how does this happen? And then she married Dax Shepard, which is I'm, like wild. Dax Shepard seems like a nice guy. He's probably a nice guy. I only mostly knew him from Jackass or whatever. So I was like, wait, that guy? Really? I mostly know him from the show Parenthood. That was a good show. Underrated he show. He is very sweet on it. He is. Yeah, I think that was his rehab. Yeah. Probably not literally. I think rehab also, was a big part of Also, let's be honest. If Kristen Bell deigned to marry him and have two kids with him, he's probably all right. Well, the and the way they talk about their relationship is extremely real. Yes. That's, yeah, that's I, the I thing that, that gets me. It's like like the way they talk about their, their relationship is almost exactly literally how you talk about your relationship. There's there's nothing weird weird ass Hollywood about the way that they conduct themselves with each other. They seem like really authentic people. So like here's this like super cool, authentic, uh, self-effacing genius, like phenomenal actress who's apparently really good at picking projects. And so, uh, yeah, you just you kind of like fall in love with these characters. Her character arc is really phenomenal. Everybody's character arc is good, but hers is really spectacular on this show. It's really well done. I really like The Good Place. I I've, I think I may love it. I think I may be in love with that show. It's very, it's a very sweet. Good show. Yeah. It's a safe thing to be in love with that show, especially now that it's ended. And they chose not to, to – anybody that knows anything – I literally know spoilers. Like everybody was talking about, oh, my God, I love that ending. And that actually scared me a little bit. Is like if everybody loves it, is it super safe? And it's kind of not. Um, just like everything else in the show, it's just like, okay, it is, uh, philosophically sound and rings as true and authentic and, and still sweet. Like the most optimistic take you can have on humanity without being naive. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really easy to see it and think like NBC comedy it's going to be like The Office. Yeah. Which The Office is great. Well, it's some of the people from The Office. So you're going to, you know, you think it's going to be yeah. shitty. I mean, I, I The Office is like a fine show. I watched The Office when it aired and it was, you know, I, I was there with the rest of America. Yeah. But you, but this is not that. Like it, it it even kind of has the look. Like that's kind of what it plays on is it, it plays like it's going to be this just kind of 30 minute network comedy. The end. Uh, and then, you know, very quickly, it's like, uh, oh, this is there's there's a lot more going on here. Huh. This is this is interesting. And then the show just keeps developing. And it's like, wow, I'm I'm really this is this show is asking some tough questions in these little 30 minute sitcom bites. But uh, now I like I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the night. Um, it's good. I like it. Yeah, it's ten great. Ten. So. Yeah, I guess I guess I'll have to put Veronica Mars on my backlog now. Dude, it's if you have Hulu, it's all on there. Okay. 
so they have all the they have all the they have all the uh other stuff they have all the veronica mars they have all the house of lies they don't have all the good place do they have all the house of lies i don't know i, thought, I mean how if, if if they have if you can get a hold of house of lies watch that i think i think you and your wife would enjoy it deeply it is so funny it's it's a show where they are a team of management consultants, which is basically like the most just shit eating job. It's kind of like Veep in that they're all terrible, but they're they're a little more human than they are on Veep. But I mean, they're leaning into the fact that they are they're like the worst kind of just like gouge you for money and sell you lies. Like that's why it's called House of Lies. Uh, okay. Oh, it's got Ben Schwartz. Yeah. My boy John Ralph. Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Yeah. Don right. Cheadle also just a gift. And it went on for five seasons. No shit. Man, that Kristen Bell knows how to pick shows that stay on the air for a little bit. Maybe she maybe she's the reason they stay on the air, you know? Could be. All right. I'll check it out. God, there's good stuff. I'm glad because obviously I just lost a TV show off of my list. And Looking for that. You got to give it to me. Give me that new shit. I got you, man. I knew I you would. Got you. I knew you would. And I know I can't keep up with you either because having children means that I can watch like one and a half episodes of a show every night. <laughs> and by every night, True. I mean two and a half nights a week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. why I'm, I'm doing the advanced, the advanced scouting work for you. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> So I want to I want to segue a little bit because uh, we were talking earlier about how um, things are kind of uh, melting in the world around us in many ways, and we're trying to be citizens of that world. But a, a weird thing a weird thing happened at my work this week, where they very publicly and they're probably early to the party on this, but they will not be the last. They very publicly shut down every office that we have and distributed the workforce fully remote. Canceled all non-essential travel. And I thought that was a pretty bold move um, to say, hey, listen, we really, you know, we value our people. We're not taking any chances. Uh, we know that's going to be an adjustment to transition to 100% remote. Um, we're keeping an eye on things, but we're not going to wait for CDC to come down and say, okay, now, now everybody freak out. Uh, and then later in that same day, I think you're the CEO of Salesforce was like, Sounding the the alarms. Well, I mean, it 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 also you know it went out. We you know, it's it's strange working for a company that where your uh, internal policies are national news. But yeah. here we are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they're like we got all of our travel is like locked down. International travel is a hard no go. Domestic travel is you know basically not happening people are strongly encouraged to work from home and all the other things and then like four hours later i picked up my phone and google and this little like news headline feed had an article from like business insider telling me that salesforce had just canceled all of their travel and i was like huh that's that's weird. <laughs> like I get an email in my internal e like company email and then four hours later, it's like on the news. Strange. Uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of companies are probably in the midst of experimenting with what it's like to be a almost entirely distributed company. 
So yeah, I think in that light and based on some of the questions and kind of minor freakouts I've been seeing um, around the industry about this, uh, I think I thought it was a good time to sort of revisit our remote conversation. And um, we've talked about it a couple times, but um, I like doing a check-in periodically because as you recall, I, I want to, you know, it's worth reminding myself of this journey that a year ago, I was reasonably certain that I wasn't going to be able to handle a remote, full-time remote job, mm-hmm. uh, much less in management. And I was kind of freaking out about it and reaching out to friends that I know that do remote management uh, and trying to kind of like calm my own fears about it, that it was going to be something that was doable. And then, you know, you do something for a while and it's just what you do. It's yeah. really weird how that happens. You're, you sort of adapt to that. I had a conversation. Uh, my dad was visiting town this weekend and he took us to fancy dinner where I had a uh, 25 year old bottle of wine and it was very good. I actually may go track this down after that experience. And I was like, fuck, damn it. I didn't, I didn't need to like this. And it's not crazy. Um, It was like at the restaurant, it was like 200. So it's like, it was like a common wine and there are lots of bottles of this laying around. Oh, okay. So it was like a $200 bottle of wine at a restaurant, which means you could probably pick it up for about a hundred somewhere, but still a hundred dollar bottle of wine is, you know, yeah, that's not also, 25-year-old wine, extremely on brand for your dad. Oh, that's a, yeah, that that's basic for him. Um, He's like, oh, this grape juice? Cool. Yeah. Do you remember, um, do you remember the, the, the fundraisers, the controversy about fundraisers in wine caves? My dad is like the type of person that literally has a wine cave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, cool. <laughs> so yeah, we went to a wine bar in Austin uh, called Aviary and we tried you know, a couple different wines and had very fancy wine. It was, I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. Um, old wine is good. So, uh, yeah. One of the things he said at that dinner was, wait a minute, I'm sorry. You're, I, I didn't realize you're remote full time. So you just work from home all the time and everybody else on your team does too. And I'm like, yeah, we're all remote. He's like, how do you even have any culture? And I'm like, what do you think culture is? And I think that's a great place to enter this conversation. How do you even have any culture if you're remote? That is an interesting question. I'm not, I'm not sure. I know that one, one comes about. You definitely get it. It is a, I'll tell you what, the culture at the place I work that is now fully remote and previously was largely remote uh, or half remote had a culture and some people liked it and some people didn't. Yeah. And it, so it had enough to have people for people to have opinions about it. So I know it formed, yeah. but how do you have culture on a full remote team? I mean, honestly, the first thing I can think of is the extremely heavy role that like Slack emoji plays. God, it's true. Not, not just like the, the general, um, the, the default stuff, but the, the customized stuff that, your team has added yep. also i have to i'm compelled to mention shout out to a friend of the show jen who we've brought up many times uh when we worked together she turned my cats who would show up on zoom calls she would screenshot me and the cat and then turn my cats into emojis and then load them into our company slack and i will be forever grateful for that 
because it was so good. I could just type like colon hitch and then my cat's face would show up on people's comments. That's amazing. Uh, we do have pet, yeah, pet emojis. Um, so I don't know who's, I, there's, there's a guy uh, in our team that as soon as he finds out somebody has a pet, he will, he will craft custom emoji for you. It's lovely. It's just such a service to do for, I mean, it's such a, like a giving and wonderful thing to do for your team to turn their pets into emoji. I love that. Um, my boss actually tweeted about this exact thing saying, I'll put, I'll post the link in the show notes, but working theory, overall happiness in a role can be discerned by a quick look at one's frequently used Slack emoji list. Uh, and then in a year at Fastly, uh, he, how grateful he is to work with his team and has a bunch of very sweet emoji. And I was like, oh yeah, mine are pretty dope too, actually. Wait, can you, oh, do you just mean like when you open the menu and you can see the the top used the, ones? Yep, the frequently most frequently used ones. I'll have to look at mine. That, yeah. I, that, that rings true. That sounds, it's that a tell. tracks for me. Yeah, it's a tell. And so it kicked off actually a really interesting thread about custom Slack emoji in your frequently used bar um, being being like, oh yeah, that is a great sort of like a uh, sentiment analysis tool. So uh, yeah, there's an interesting thread that that popped off there when my boss subtweeted me. He didn't subtweet me. He directly mentioned me. Um, yeah, but there, it really does. Like I, I actually told this to my wife. <laughs> I told this to my wife, like, I don't know, six months ago. I was like, I don't think I would have predicted the amount of the percentage of weekly time that I use as non-zero for selecting the appropriate and most appropriate Slack reaction emoji mm-hmm, to various mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. things that occur. Do y'all have, do y'all have the Giphy bot as well? We do have the Giphy bot. Did you, have you, has your company figured out the, the like magic invocation to custom caption Giphy images? Wait, no. Because <laughs> we figured this out a couple months ago, and it just like it basically derailed my entire team for like an hour and a half. Wait, custom caption. So, oh yeah, I have heard of this where where it will like it'll like memify. Yep, it can meme memify your animated GIF. Yep. Oh my uh, god. It. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put a link to it in the show notes. Everyone, you're welcome because. <laughs> Your game this, just got this stepped is up. gonna be like it, it was so funny uh i i mean it, it's gonna destroy your team's afternoon um it's absolutely worth it that's very good i'm a fan so yeah it's very fun and uh i look forward to having you tweeted us with screenshots of the very good captioned uh giphy things that you create so here's actually, that's a really good point, though. Coming back to Slack and culture, there are teams that are like, ah, we don't believe in Slack. Slack's a tor- tool for torture and not a tool for collaboration or communication or whatever. And, you know, I may come around to that. But for now, I think it's used, it, it can be used well. And the way that my team uses it, I'm, I'm really impressed with it. And one thing that we use it for is to create a sense of space which is very difficult on this team because we're international. But when I say create a sense of space, I mean this, I learned this by observing. I certainly would never have come up with this idea. Uh, I have a person that joined my team six months ago and this person is a deeply caring individual and deeply community oriented individual and showed up and literally at the beginning of their workday every day would just say, 
good morning and post a little emoji or a fun animated gif or something and say good morning and just kind of like welcome like welcome the team to this space that we use to share and this is our shared space we don't have a workspace for somebody to bring bagels or donuts or you know coffee in but you can bring a nice animated gif and place it here and welcome everybody and have a good morning and then at the end of the day say okay that's it for me um have a have a great night everyone i'm so glad we got to work together today and that's it just the framing device now we have an international team and it's not everybody's morning and it's not everybody's night uh, so there's a, like definitely some difficulties around creating a firm sense of space and time because we don't share uh, time zones, but it creates this this area that feels I don't know how to explain it other than it caused the space to materialize and feel real in a way that is like oh this is our shared workspace this is our office this is where we work together yeah it's not it's not just the the place that you kind of default to when you need to ask a quick question. Like, you know, it makes it more than just a simple tool. And it's like, oh, this is like a place that you inhabit, kind of. Yeah. Like, hey, uh, I am going to go make a tuna melt sandwich. Here's my recipe. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's those kinds of things where people just like are exposing more of the parts of their life into a shared space that, yeah, we have arguments here, but we also talk about uh, our pets and post pictures and we talk about our recipes for lunch and welcome each other at the beginning of the day and sign off at night. And that was that realization plus a couple other things this person did, which are just, I mean, it's been a master class in what it is to create a community. And you have to have, if you're going to have a remote team that has any culture whatsoever, you have to be sort of intentional about community building. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to create a community of people? Like, I've built communities online before that have a very specific culture. Uh, and in retrospect, this was like a, a message board like 20 years About ago. Sonic. It was. <laughs> 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 Nailed it. It was about uh, Subaru tuning uh, on online forum, very primarily good. in Colorado. Love it, love it. And yeah, but these are people that are still friends of mine now. Uh, and, and I remember going out, this is in like 2004, 2005. We built this like community and I was going to go out and stay with a couple people that lived in Colorado. And my friends were like, oh my God, with people you met on the internet, you were absolutely going to get murdered. But we didn't, we went out and stayed and had fun and hung out with friends and <sighs> held a trash can while somebody threw up a bunch of Jack Daniels and you know, you get to know each other as one does as one does. So yeah, I think community is certainly something that you've seen materialize online and is something that you can kind of foster. And so uh, community and culture aren't the exact same thing, but they're very similar activities if you want to build something. And and even if you don't do it on purpose, uh, you, you kind of do it accidentally. If you just use Slack as a thing where people ask questions and solve problems, and maybe you'll have a sparse culture. You'll still have one. It'll just be a culture where people mostly keep to themselves, I guess. So here's a question. Which one, give it out of community and culture, which one do you think drives the other? Like, does, does your culture materialize out of the communities that you have at your workplace? Or does your culture drive whether or not and what kind of communities get formed? That's a good question. 
obviously there's a there's a cycle to it either way, virtuous or not virtuous. Mm-hmm. But I would say that your culture actually drives the community. I think I think that's a good observation because you have to have a culture, uh, and culture is really like this is what I was like when my dad asked me that. I'm like, how have you been building companies for 30 years and you don't know this shit? Um, and I'm like, wait a minute, I worked for you. Your companies had horrible culture, <laughs> extremely toxic. It was like, they weren't cultures, they were cults. And he knows how to build cults of personality mm-hmm. around himself, but he doesn't know how to build company culture. Um, maybe he does now, but I'm you know, reflecting on the company that I worked for from 20 years ago and then 10 years ago. Um, but culture is what gets rewarded what people get fired for, what people get hired, you know, what people, what gets tolerated, like the worst behavior that gets tolerated is your culture. Uh, the types of behaviors that get rewarded or fired or punished or whatever, like those are your culture. It is mm-hmm. just like the structure and, and it's the, the way that people exist within your company. Do they hide, have to hide who they are or do they bring their authentic selves to work? Uh, is it extremely competitive? Like, so what, what are the values that get rewarded? Like, do we go in and play hard and work 20 hour days and anybody that doesn't do that isn't going to fit? Um, or is it, uh, we have a culture of nobody really here knows anything like what's going on. And we kind of just come in and hide. And yeah, <laughs> I've worked for companies like that where people are like, yeah, I don't know. We come in and then on Friday we just sort of like, I don't know, we, we play foosball at four every day. And then on Fridays we kind of hang out and shoot the shit and drink. That's a, (laughs) that is a culture. That's a choice. Yeah. 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 There's also the like classic, no one show your ass. Like, just like, you know, Oh, uh, keep it completely professional. No one let on that. You're like a human at all. Yes. Uh, because you don't want to risk like, you know, exposing something because you've lit, you have this kind of like very conspiratorial, uh, culture. I've seen those. Those are fun. I've worked in in office cultures that are about living and working in Utah that are about like basically conforming to Mormon stereotypes. And I brought a coffee maker in one day. My my boss and I brought a coffee maker <laughs> in, and people lost their shit. Just, just like Brandon, agent of chaos. Hey, I know it was. <laughs> we were tearing that shit up. <laughs> one day we decided to wear jeans against our dress code and they didn't fire me or my boss. And we're like, I guess we, here's the thing. We're the engines of economic growth for this. We were so egotistical. We're like, we're the engine of economic growth for this company. They can't touch us. We're going to do whatever we want here. We're going to wear <laughs> jeans. We're going to drink coffee. We were fucking wild. Just Kings. Yep. Rebel with a latte. <laughs> Just an absolute Lord in your jeans. And your. <laughs> Rebel without a temple recommend Frappuccino or something. Yeah, it was. Uh, and so, yeah, I've seen, um, you know, I've seen all of these cultures and, and it's funny to me that a person would equate whether you have a culture at all with whether people come and see each other face to face in every day in an office. I can kind of, I, I kind of get, I kind of get the association um, only in the sense that I think for a lot of people, culture is, a thing that that just kind of materializes organically like it just, just comes about and that that is really hard to have happen in a significant way without any in-person contact 
Um, but, you know, without getting to know, like, the weird body language and tics and verbal cues of your coworkers and finding yourself in those, like, oh, we're sitting in a meeting and the person who we really need to start this meeting is going to be 10 minutes late. Well, we're all stuck in this room. I guess we should just chat. And then, like, you know, you find out something interesting about your coworker and you bond over something or you get a shared inside joke or, you know, like a little thing start to happen that accumulate into relationships and accumulate into like kind of a shared understanding and, and ultimately kind of lead to the development of a culture. That's harder to do, I think, uh, when you're remote. But to your point earlier, the way that you fix that is you have to be very intentional and proactive about developing and, and fostering a culture. I will say having, I, I, I kind of want to pivot to how it's going for you because I've been thinking about this lately, how it's going for me. And, and I have, I have, I have mixed feelings. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to hear your feelings actually. Cause I, I mean, you, you kind of know my deal, but I'll, I'll catch you up. But I want to I want to hear how it's going for you now that you've been doing this a fucking while. Yeah, I I still think it's great. I still think that it's I, I think it's it's like in some ways an, an inevitability for a lot of companies. Like I think it's just the trade offs are hard to ignore. But at the same time, I wonder if there's there is also eventually going to be this like third step that's just like everyone in offices for your company and then everyone remote and it's a free for all. And then everyone in like shared, like we have co-working spaces now, but that's not the norm. Those kind of exist and they're a varying quality and they're like unbelievably expensive. And I wonder if, if eventually there's going to be like, the norm is is like co-working spaces become the norm and their prices get normalized and you like end up having a culture like a, a workplace culture and, an, and a company culture and they're not they're not related at all because I definitely I I get I'm starting to like feel the itch of wishing I had an office to go into sometime like. I definitely wouldn't want to give up being remote, but there are definitely, especially being in the middle of winter in Colorado, where I'm just like, God, just give me a reason to get out of this house. Because it's like, oh, give me a reason to get out of this house. Also, you know, it snowed yesterday and it's 20 degrees outside and the roads are gross. And, you know, that's not... It's not like I'm going to go for a drive in this like terrible road condition. But after a couple of days of that, you're just like, oh, my God, I just like going to the grocery store is not enough. Like, I, I just need a reason to, like, get out and, like, see humans without it having to be like a whole thing. And that would be about the time I would, you know, go work in the office for a day or two. Yeah. There's also another solution to that problem that you managed to unsolve by moving to Colorado which is called Texas. Yeah. Texas is good. I mean, it has its it has it has its moments. It has a lot of people in it that I like. Yeah. That's that's a big part. It has uh, a lot of patios. 
it does it, have a lot of patios. And it had a, has a lot of degrees on the uh-huh. thermometer around this time yeah. of year that you don't have. Then it has more degrees, in which case you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> let me tell you, let me, let me tell you about patio life in May in Colorado because it is pretty it's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to make it through winter. But I do, I find that this is the first job I've had where it didn't even begin with an on-site, with, with a with like a on-site onboarding kind of deal. Like my onboarding was remote. And I find that like going this long, like I was basically, I have not met any of my team in person. And I've been working at this job for eight months, nine months. Um, we were about to all meet in person and then coronavirus hit, as we discussed. Uh, and that got canceled. So at this point, it looks like I will have gone probably a full year by the time I meet my by the time I meet my manager in person, much less anyone on my team. And I can tell you, I do not recommend that. <laughs> I think like it's easy to kind of like I, I've I've been at companies where I I feel like they ask you to travel entirely too much, um, and that gets old. But there's also such a thing as being asked to travel entirely too little. Um, and I think there is definitely benefit to being able to like touch base and have, you know, human contact with the people you work with, especially when you're working on things together, you know, yeah. like that. It's not just like you're in cubicles and you just coexist is that you're like working towards shared goals and but you have like no real sense for who these people are. Um, outside of of what you get, you know, on Slack or on Zoom calls, that's really interesting. And it's funny because I'm I'm not sure I would have predicted to hear you say this to say that hey, they're like I know you to be a reasonable person and and, and acknowledge trade offs and things, but also I didn't I don't know that I didn't uh, anticipate that you would enjoy that kind of flexibility because I always had you pegged as somebody that would. Be, I think because the times we've worked together, you were forced to be crammed into an office, and you're like, oh my god. Get me out of here. <laughs> this yeah, open space true. office plan uh, is is killing me. But now, like, I, I think that idea of there being, like, a reaction to that, there being, like, the open office plan being such a colossal, expensive, multi-billion or even multi-trillion dollar failure in the world of business, the reflexive uh, moving to remote, um, it's a, it's a reflexive move based on that. It's a ref, based on loss of productivity, based on you know talent shortages in in highly tech oriented cities. Suddenly, you know, I find myself working with professionals in fucking um, where you're like, find me the person that can do the thing, and you're like, okay, but they're in Melbourne, and you're like, I don't care, get them. They're in fucking Sweden. Great, get them. So I've had calls with people in Australia and Sweden and London fucking today. How cool is that? It's awesome. It's awesome. And these are these are my coworkers. And so when when you're not limited, you're literally looking for the person in the world that's available. You're instead of being who's who's available right now looking, has seen my stuff and is local and willing to work for whatever are, you know, whatever constraints and whatever company, removing the local constraint is really interesting in terms mm-hmm. of what you see come in as a result. 
and all these coworkers, I'd learned to sort of like, okay, we're going to make do, we'll tolerate this. And you're like, oh, wow, when your net is that wide, some really interesting shit starts happening. And you start working with people that will blow your mind. That's interesting and cool. Like more of that, please. <laughs> but yeah, but- that is, uh, that's like the dream. That's, that's the dream of remote work is you have removed what, a, what used to be an absolutely, an almost non-negotiable constraint. Yeah. And I, I mean, at my last few jobs, I've here's the list of people that I have relocated is long, including you. That's <laughs> true. You know, willing to relocate to Austin is a broader segment than uh, willing to relocate to, you know, Hoboken, New Jersey or whatever. But it's still not nearly as long as people willing to open a laptop and sit at their kitchen table and work with you. That's not the best case scenario. In fact, maybe we should talk about that for a second. Is like how much your remote setup matters to working remotely. Like mm. your office looks pretty sweet. How yeah. much have you adapted your life to working remotely? Your like living quarters and space. Oh and- my God. A lot. I mean, in, in terms of like apartment searches, you factor in like literally the space to work remotely. So like my wife and I, Live in a three-bedroom apartment. Could theoretically get away with a one-bedroom apartment. I mean, beyond theoretically, what, do you have a bedroom for your cats? No, I mean, but, like, I have an office. She has an office. Gotcha. And her office is more, like, she uses it sometimes, and it's kind of, like, her, like, hangout place. Then we have our normal room, and and the other bedroom is, like, where I work. Um, Because I've tried the other way. I've tried... You know, when I started working remotely, we lived in a one bedroom apartment and my office was in the living room and well, that, that got that's not fun. Yeah. real quick, uh, extremely quick. Uh, and so now I've been doing it long enough that like I've got, I've got, I got tips for days, man. I got like the setup. I've got this like desk that I've had for forever that you can raise and lower and it's like you know like electrical powered like it's not like a crank or anything i've got these like arms on my desk and like my laptop sits on a shelf connected to one of the monitor arms so that it floats above my desk so i have like full desk space nothing's like sitting on my desk that's like you know that can't be mounted that's all of the stuff that has gone into like years of like Working at the same, working in, in essentially the same office that I just move from apartment to apartment, uh, and, and like slowly grows. And I, I haven't even, this is not even my office's final form because at some <laughs> point, at some point, I will live in a house and then I'll really settle in and that'll be nice. But I think, I think that that is part of it. I, I know people who are like, oh yeah, I work remote, I work from the couch and put my laptop on the coffee table. And it's like, maybe that works for you. I have such a hard time believing that that person is just like, doesn't know what they're missing. Um, working, working on the couch with your laptop is fine sometimes, but like to have that be your only option. I can't imagine. I remember interviewing at like a, um, multi-billion dollar company more than multi, you know, like, uh, many, many billion dollar company. And, was interviewing with their, uh, one of their VPs of engineering. And this person was like chilling on the couch in a hoodie. And, and I was like, you are VP Eng for a gajillion dollar company. And you, and you are sitting and working from your couch. 
That is fucking wild to me. Like, cause I sit here with my people think I, you know, like I realize that I'm probably on the other end of the, the spectrum pathologically where I'm sitting here with my podcast set up looking like, what the, what are you, what are you doing? Why, <laughs> why are you a radio DJ in a remote? Cause you work? always have your mic on camera even during work, right? Well, I, I like push it away some, like I don't really choke up on it like I do when we're recording. And so it's a little yeah. bit out of the way, but like. I hate that going to waste. This is a nice, you know, a nice setup. I can mm-hmm. sound better mm-hmm. than if I was like trying to yell at my laptop. So do you use your mic for remote stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's my, it's my only input at this point. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's no reason, no reason not to use it. Yeah. Other than it makes you look like a fucking weirdo. So I always move my mic so that it's like off Just camera. off camera. And you can hear the difference. This is what I sound like to my work. People. That's much worse. And this is what I sound like to podcast people. Yeah, I'm probably in the I'm probably in the same territory. So yeah, yeah we're the, giving away the secret sauce. Yeah, I'll, like the few work people I know or I have that listen to this podcast are now going to be like, "You've been, you've been holding out on us." Yeah, like, <laughs> what the hell, man? Just get this shit out of my face. I can barely see my monitor. Yeah, like I I want to be free. Yeah. I also like I plug my headphones into the into the mic at work so that I have like a feedback loop so I can hear myself. Whereas at work, I'm just like crank on the Bluetooth. Like, who cares if I'm just like, uh, who cares what I sound like? It's fine. I think that the thing that you said that is like the most underrated um, remote work life hack of in, in history is just put literally everything on boom arms. Everything. <laughs> it is so good once you realize that it's a thing you can do. Oh my god. Monitor, mic, laptop, lamp, boom arms. Oh, it's incredible. My desk, my if I wanted to and I didn't I didn't house my like media PC and internet router and shit behind my monitor, like this desk could absolutely be pristine. There's no reason to have anything on my desk except for toys, tchotchkes, Legos, what have you. So that that actually brings up another a thing I was talking about in Slack today with other remote people. And I was asking how many remote employees here have two completely independent computer setups at their desk. And a lot of them do, including me. And that's weird. It's yeah. weird that like like my like if I'm like drawing lines with my arms, only you can see this. Like this is work and if i am going to play pc games then i just do this you just move your chair over i can't do that man (laughs) i mean i get having a separate computer that's definitely like an important context switch but i was actually talking to somebody oh don't get me wrong i do not love it okay (laughs) it is not great (laughs) but i don't i don't i don't have room for two desks and two computers i end up like i think that's that's where they're like that is part of why the itch to get out of the apartment has has become so strong is because I'll, if if I don't have a place to go, like like what am I going to do? I'm I'm going to like cook dinner, you know, watch TV. I might like read or something, but there's also a good chance I'm going to like play computer games in the evening. And if I do that, it means that I will spend the entire workday plus a lot of the evening in the same spot at the same desk at a slightly different angle. That's not great. No, it's not, man. Like what I do after a stressful work day is I, I, if I'm not the one cooking dinner, 
I will actually go upstairs and go like lay on my bed and watch a YouTube video or two and just like mm-hmm. decompress. I, I can't even be downstairs. I can't be in the proximity. I can't be in my workspace. And the walkway from my, my office to my kitchen is like, this feels like work. This feels like work. This is my office. This is where I work. I need to get out of this headspace. And so somebody was telling me that they were thinking about doing like a remote therapy thing, which sounds amazing, but I'm like, oh God, you're gonna have to take those calls in your bedroom or something. If you like take that call where you work, I don't think I'd be able to calm down. Um, at the same computer where I'm answering Slack messages from coworkers, like I can't do that. Yeah. We, it's also weird. Like we record this podcast where we work. Yeah. But if you know, it, it feels like work, but there's more alcohol involved. True. True. It is. But like, imagine if the podcast recording, like forget for a moment that Austin traffic exists. Imagine if the podcast recording was like, we met up and sat at a table. That would be that would be pretty cool. It would be like a, a thing you know you would get out of the house. It would not be like like because this is the equivalent of like go back to work and record a podcast. It's a li- it's a little tough for that reason. Yeah, <laughs> hence the alcohol. That helps. That takes the edge off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's tough. I actually used to record my other podcast at my office, so I had two podcast setups: one at home for this podcast. And then my other podcast, I would actually record in the middle of the day and I would schedule it and I would close my door and I would record the podcast and, uh, people would walk into my office, uh, and they'd be like, I'm sorry, what the hell is going on in here? Why do you have like a full audio rig in this office? I cannot fathom doing that. Like it was extremely presumptuous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it also just feels so like, I just feel like, I could never feel comfortable. Like I I would always be like, what? This is not going to work. Like it's really fun when you're recording a podcast at work and your coworkers come and like stare at you and like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) Yeah. Are you like like, rich Eisen? What the fuck is this? Like what meaning are you in right now? What the hell is going on? (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, that's a choice. That's wild. Yeah, you went for it, man. I went for it. I really went for it. You know what? This is a better. This is a better choice. Yeah. Well, the I'm glad to hear that you're kind of figuring out ways to manage that. Like I literally went. I uh, I didn't realize how tethered I actually am to my house because of the quality of my home internet being reliable versus coffee shop internet being super sketchy, and there is nothing more frustrating. Uh, it feels so stressful and bad. I was at this really, like, I love this coffee shop radio in Austin on Mm -hmm. like, uh, Menchak. And I used to go there like three times a week. Did you get, you do you have Veracruz tacos there while you were there? Yeah. Oh yeah. So those are the best tacos. tacos will change your life. They're the, honestly, I, I had Migas tacos on, uh, like Friday of last week, I think. And then tried to take a meeting there and their Wi-Fi is garbage. And I, then I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to tether. And my tethering was like super dicey and I'm trying to communicate with my team and run a meeting. And they're like, I'm sorry, but I can't hear you. And that is so infuriating when you're on a call and so in tra- somebody's trying to communicate, but their internet keeps, you know, and it's like, it's not their fault and it's not your fault, but now people are like upset and frustrated because of internet connectivity issues. Yeah. Here's my hot take on that. And, and. There's like a lot of people are going to think I'm subtweeting them personally. And I want you to know I'm not subtweeting you personally. I'm subtweeting all of you. And it's that I think working remotely from coffee shops when you have meetings 
is fucking bullshit. It's it should <laughs> it basically should not be done. Like it's awful. It's awful for everyone sitting around you at the coffee shop listening to you have a meeting. It's awful for the people who have to attend the meeting with you, where like you can hear all of the sounds at the coffee shop. But not the person because, like, the Wi-Fi is choppy. The Wi-Fi works well enough that you can hear just this cacophony of coffee shop sound. But not so well that you can hear the person's voice clearly. And it's just like, right, like just, just, just don't. Like, I don't know. Like, go get in your car or, like, do – but, like, like, you're inflicting so much pain on everyone, both on your team and in the real world. Like, don't, don't do it. I've had multiple failures at multiple coffee shops, and I'm shocked every time because we have Google Fiber everywhere. You have a gigabit. How are we not all able to do our video chats on gigabit Ethernet at this coffee shop? There's 25 of us here. God damn it. What is going on? <laughs> Who's BitTorrenting? It's not the coffee shop's job to provide you conference call quality Internet. I, I'm, not, I'm not upset at the coffee shop for not being able to provide higher quality internet i'm genuinely shocked that where is it where's all the bandwidth <laughs> you get it costs you 70 dollars to have a gigabit where is all of that going it's, it's being used on their spotify playlist I, that's nothing there is no data that's <laughs> that we're talking kilobits god damn it oh man i am entering now a deep depression having been reminded of radio because mm. that is that, something that else radio was my my like i cannot be in this apartment all day long what i will do is start my work day by driving all the way across austin at 7 a.m and just go like sit outside in the austin morning and eat some breakfast tacos and drink some coffee i would and then i would drive back home and start work i would make that a weekly wild. ritual yeah I, in I, fact i did i highly recommend it i might i might do that yeah it's it's absolutely lovely i think i might do that instead of uh Kirby Lane for my next friendly get together. Um, Cause yeah, I, I was like, I love this. The weather is beautiful. The weather's perfect. This is a great coffee shop. The tacos are insane. The coffee's very good. The only challenge is you can't be taking meetings from here. Yeah. I think about it now, like now that I have a motorcycle and I think about the absolute ideal world I would be living in where I rode my motorcycle to radio <laughs> and like the early Austin morning when it's still cool and then ate Migos tacos for life. <laughs> you'll, you'll find yours. I've seen, uh, you sent me pictures of Colorado Mexican food and that looks like just death. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I, sorry. I was, I was so deeply offended by the term Colorado mix as like an appropriation of Tex-Mex. No. It, the, and I, I just, I can't. No, I can't. this is nothing. This is nothing. You get Chipotle. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> so yeah briefly my my report card on remote is i get it i enjoy it i'm i'm um i i have friends that and and coworkers that are forced to go remote all of a sudden and having to work from their kitchen table while mm -hmm. their kid screams in their ear and i get that this is not like everybody's idea of like a dream and it gets lots better as soon as you figure out how to carve us a, a space for yourself and a way for yourself to kind of live that live that life like i remember working my first remote gig was like working out of my bedroom on a folding card table with a 20 dollar ikea kitchen chair and like by about five hours in that chair i felt like i was gonna die every day and I, it was in my own bedroom and i couldn't sleep and i couldn't focus at work and i couldn't sleep <laughs> at night it's like this is not how spaces are supposed to be used 
I shouldn't be at a, sitting at a desk in the corner right next to my bed. This sucks. Yeah, you you definitely cross the streams. Yeah, in a in a very bad way there. Yeah, and now that I have something that feels relatively dialed in, um, the problem is I'm addicted to it, and I'd want to be able to work from other places. I thought part yeah. of the idea was freedom, and it's really not. It's really about no commute more than it is the ability to work from anywhere. Yeah. Unless you have a really like maybe there's this next level shit that I haven't figured out where you have like three phones and you go to the phone you can tether from and whatever. Like there may be a way to do this where you you really yeah. are like unhitched from from things. But insofar as I'm a manager that spends a half to two thirds of my day in meetings, like that's not realistic. Yeah. If anyone has figured out this like next level third tier of remote work, please share because I'm I'm like fresh out of tips. Yeah. Like I've 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 figured out I think all that I can for the time being. So I'm I'm open. Tell tell us about your your RV bound hashtag digital nomad life. I'm into it. What, oh my god! What if that is the answer? What if like that's how I get out of the office, but don't have to have an office? As I just buy an RV. It's and it's, I'm like <laughs> I, my RV is parked on the other side of Denver. Brb. And yeah. I drive to my RV. This is terrible. I already hate this plan. No, I love it. I'm into it. Here I am working from beautiful Yellowstone Park. I build a tiny house. <laughs> Put on a trailer. <laughs> and I make that my office. This okay. Is, this is getting okay. worse all the time. I get a shipping container and then <laughs> turn that into a very cool office. And then I try and get it in architecture magazines because somehow it qualifies. I love despite it. Despite the fact that it's just a shipping container. So, well, it, uh, we, we've been talking about this for a while. We should probably wrap up. But yeah, man, I'm... I really appreciate the advice and guidance and and safety that you and other people gave me when I was like trying to make the transition to full remote. It turns out it can be a rough transition. Uh, the main things for me were like figuring out that workspace is workspace, work time is work time. And you really have to cut those threads and be like, it's 530. I'm stepping away. And if you yeah. can, if you can enforce those boundaries of space and time, you're probably going to be fine. And if you really struggle with that, it's going to be real hard. I think so. I think I think that is that I think that really is the key. Like what the other stuff will come if you can if you can start by creating that like bright line between work and home. Yep. This is where and when work happens and this is where and work where it does not happen. And as soon as as soon as you let those mush together, remote work is remote work becomes much more complicated than working in an office. And then yeah, talk to a bunch of people. You have to go out of your way to talk to people. And what you'll wind up saying at the end of those conversations is like, God, that was so good. We should do this on a regular basis. Go ahead and schedule it every two weeks or once a month. Schedule meetings with people that you just want to talk to. You and I have a, a, a former coworker and acquaintance and friend who uh, I haven't scheduled this with yet. And I try to reach out periodically, but you will do that less often than you think. You should just mm -hmm. schedule it if you want to have social time. You have to schedule yeah. your social time. Other than that, like everything else is a lot like working in an office. Yeah. For sure. All right, man. Well, let's. Let, I, I, we could talk let's about this for that. honestly. I could talk about this for another hour, but it probably. I think we're the, the reaching the logarithmic curve of how interesting this shit is. So we'll probably yeah. wrap it up now. Uh, for everybody listening, thanks. Uh, actually, please do send us your remote work tips, tricks, frustrations, challenges. Now that uh, the entire world is on coronavirus lockdown, uh, I'll be curious to hear if anybody's in transition. So please get at us. We are at Copy Paste Pod if you would like to send us your ideas about that. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Tubiking. And I am at 15 Letter Max. 
And please tell your friends about this podcast if you like it, uh, if you've derived any benefit from it. Uh, we love to hear that people heard about it from a friend. That's really fun. It means so much to us. It really does. And it also means a lot to us when people reach out and say, hey, I heard something on your podcast and I did something with it. That's really fun. We've got oh, a, yeah. a little feedback yeah, like that. That, is, that makes doing that makes coming back to the office to record a podcast every week. <laughs> it does make it, it. It does make it worth it. So everybody listening, thank you so much. We love you. And we're glad you joined us. And we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.